You're listening to the podcast of Antioch East Baptist Church in Magnolia, Arkansas. This is Pastor Ron Owen. We're so glad that you've joined us today. If you have any comments or inquiries, you can send those to us at aebc123 at me.com. And the Bible says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh to live according to the flesh. For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. Now, pay attention specifically to verse 14 and following. For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these are the sons of God. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received the spirit of adoption, by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. The Spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are children of God. And if children, then heirs, heirs of God and joint heirs with Christ. If indeed we suffer with him, that we may also be glorified together. <laughs> Let's pray. Heavenly Father, please add the blessings to this. Give me clarity of thought and speech, but most of all, whatever you use this message to draw people closer to you. And to call sinners to yourself. Give us fruit for our labors and prayers and faithfulness in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. In these verses, we what we're doing to, exp, uh, to expound on these verses, we're breaking them up into six theological themes or categories, if you would. Six theological categories. Now, don't let that word theology scare you. It's a wonderful word. We ought to embrace theology. All it means is the study of God. Amen. Every Christian loves that. Every time you study your Bible, guess what you're being? A theologian. A theologian. And we talked about, first of all, this look at verse 12. It says, Therefore, brethren, we are debtors not to the flesh. So we talked about, first of all, depravity, the doctrine of depravity. Well, we'd already talked about that quite a bit through this chapter. So verses 7 and 8 is all about that. So we went through that quickly. And then number 2, we talked about condemnation and judgment because the verse says not to the flesh to live according to the flesh for if you live according to the flesh you will die you will you will die uh, as a Christian if you are uh, uh, living in sin as a Christian you lose your joy your your assurance dies you will never die spiritually uh, but uh things in your life die. But if you're without Christ, you will die because of sin. Everybody dies because of sin physically, but more importantly, spiritually, we die being separated from God forever. And that's what we don't want. That's why we preach the gospel is to declare to people you can be saved. You can be born again. So we talked about that thing. And then we talked about sanctification because look, if you live according to the flesh, you will die. But if by the Spirit you put to death the deeds of the body, you will live. 
And the life that you and I live, we live by the sanctifying work of the Spirit. First of all, there is a permanent and and, and immediate sanctification when we get saved. We're regenerated or we have a new spirit. We're born again and separated from the world, the devil and the flesh, and separated unto God. That is immediate sanctification. But number two is progressive, progressive sanctification. Progressive sanctification, not progressive. Progressive sanctification, which means as we live through the sanctifying work of the Spirit and our obedience and our seeking God, we get more and more like Jesus until one day he comes again for us. Now, I said this, you cannot reach sinless perfection in this life, but if you think you can, go for it. Amen? Go for it. And so then we talked about mortification, and we spent most of our time on that, which means killing sin, repentance. That's part of that sanctification. We kill sin in our life. We overcome. We hate it, and we want to overcome it in our life. Every Christian ought to be seeking to destroy sin in his life and, and disobedience to God. And then today, that brings us to our point. Depravity, condemnation, sanctification, mortification, those five, four. And then now we're going to talk talk about adoption adoption the doctrine of adoption and as these girls told you today they have been adopted by miss susan and her former husband who passed away at the first of last year and they adopted these two little girls we have others in this room that know and have been adopted or know of adoption and it is a wonderful wonderful thing for someone to choose to love someone else that they really weren't responsible for but they take on that responsibility out of love and joy. Well, the adoption of Christ, the adoption of us as God's children is a little bit different, but basically the same, and we're going to cover that today. Look at verse 14. Now, I'm going to read this. It says, For as many as are led by the Spirit of God, these, now listen, are the sons of God. Now, the word there is hoyos, uh, which is, uh, I think I pronounced that wrong, but it, it's the word for son. It is a masculine term. Why? I don't know, but it's talking about ch children in general. We're the sons of God. Then I want you to look at verse 15. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear, but you received, now listen, the spirit of of adoption. You have been taken in by a, a father that was not responsible for you. Now, a lot of people think that he is, but he's not. You're the one that rebelled. You're the one that sinned. We're the one that went away, and God has drawn to us and chosen us to give us a, a name of his family. Then look at verse 16. The spirit, of himself, the spirit himself bears witness with our spirit that we are, listen, children of God. Amen. Children of God. That ought to make you want to jump for joy, then fall on your face. And thank God that this dirty sinner, like Ron Owen, has now been taken into the family of God. He didn't have to. He shouldn't have. But because of his love, he Adopted me. <laughs> well, I'm going to get excited. The doctrine of adoption is not a theological theme that gets uh, the most attention. We, I guarantee you some of you have not really considered this as much as other things. 
But I want you to know that it is one of the most, if not the most, I don't know, the cross is pretty, pretty good too, but, but it's one of the most heartwarming, practical, and intimate themes of God's revelation that God has taken you into his family. Not just, not just like you would take a sweet little innocent baby in an orphanage in. He took you and you were dirty, rotten, and filthy with sin, rebelling and hating him. He took you into himself. And, and the price that he paid for your adoption was very high. I'm getting ahead of myself, but it's just good. One man has said perhaps one reason that we fail to appreciate the privilege of being adopted as God's children is because we have never considered ourselves to be orphans. Well, that's the truth. A lot of people, especially Americans, think that they are God's gift to God. That they are it. Well, surely God would save me. I'm good. I, I, I look at me. I'm good looking. I'm, I, I'm a good citizen. I'm going to tell you, you're dirty and rotten at the core. You're a sinner. Romans 7, 8, 7 says, Because the carnal mind, that's you, that's all you were without Jesus, is enmity against God. It's an enemy of God. It is not subject to the law of God, nor indeed can be. So then those that are in the flesh cannot please God. We were orphans. We were orphans. And to be honest with you, we were not uh, uh, necessarily orphans that were wanted by anybody, but for some reason, God. Yeah. Galatians 4, 4 says, But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of a woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that we might receive the adoption of sons. The price that was paid. We say salvation is free, but it's not free. Salvation was not free. Oh yeah, maybe it was free to you, but it must have been paid for. It must be paid for. And it had a high, high price. And Jesus paid for you with his blood and with his death and with his degradation having to come to this earth and live on it and he, he took all the temptations you and I have yet without sin and he did it to make you his child wow I want you to look at Ephesians 1 and verse 4 and following listen to what it says Ephesians 1 verse 4 says just as he, this is talking about God the Father. God the Father. Because what you have, and I've told you all this before, you all know these are some of my favorite verses, because it covers so much stuff. It shows us God the Father's work in our salvation, which we're going to read this morning. Then it shows Christ's work in our salvation, the cross and forgiveness and those things. And then it shows the Holy Spirit's work in our salvation, how he is our guarantee. He seals us into the day of redemption. And it's all to the praise of the glory of God's grace. And he did it all not because of some foreseen faith that God... I hear this all the time. God looked down through time. God never looked down through time. God declared time. If God looked down through time, let me tell you, all he would see was his purposes and his plans. And God planned and purposed things. Christ paid for it, and the Holy Spirit procures it and causes it to happen. 
Now look what it says about God the Father. Even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world that we should be. Why did he choose us? He wanted to save us to make us holy and without blame before him in love. How did he do that? He shed his blood to wash away our sins and to give us a new life and regenerate us from deadness. But that's not the verse I want to get to, but it's part of it. Look at verse 5. Having predestined us, what did he predestine us? To adoption as sons. <laughs> Let me tell you, you weren't adopted when you got saved. You were adopted in the mind of God from all eternity past. Let's read it again, verse 4, just as he chose us. He chose us at Klegomai. It's the word elected us in him when? Before the foundations of the world, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love, having predestined us. When did he predestine us? I don't know. Before the foundation of the world. When was that? I don't know. In eternity. God has always been omniscient, so it's always been in his mind to set his love on us and on you today. Those that, that trust him uh, will be the ones that get the, uh, the love of God is set upon them. Having predestined us to the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ to himself. See, this is very personal. God's not just bebopping along and walking along and one day thinking, you know, I'm going to create a world. I'm going to create a people. And then he just creates it and just, I'm going to sit back and see what happens. My friend, God had a purpose, a plan, a loving plan for you and I. And he did it. For himself. Hey, there's another thing. Listen, salvation isn't for you. Salvation isn't for the church. Salvation isn't for the world. Salvation is for him. He did it for himself, for his own glory, by his own grace, to his own pleasure. Right. Amen. Having produced us the adoption of sons by Jesus Christ himself, according to the good pleasure of his will. Just because he wanted to. He chose to love us. Now look at verse 6. To the praise of the glory of his grace. By which, by what? By which what? His grace. He made us accepted in the beloved. I preached on this Sunday, last Sunday night. It was good. Get the tape if you weren't here. It was good. To the praise of the glory of his grace. What is grace? Unmerited favor. When a mama or a daddy walks into an orphanage, it used to be like that, it's not necessarily like that now, or, or they contact the state or they go through the call or, or however they do it, they go. And my friend, it is all their choice to set their love upon some child. And they go in and they choose as parents to put their love upon a child, a daughter, a son, and make them their own. And when you adopt someone illegally, they are like blood. You can't disinherit an adopted child. They're yours, just as if you'd had them yourself. They take your name, and they take your heart, don't they, Miss Susan? And they take your life, and they take your money, <laughs> just, like, just like all kids do. You don't believe me? Go look at those tables back there later. <laughs> and 
They choose. Now listen, they didn't have to. If they'd have looked at the children and decided we don't want to do it and walked out, we wouldn't have blamed them. We wouldn't say how unkind, how unloving, how ungrateful. We wouldn't have said that about them. They don't have to. It's not their responsibility. But we look at them and they just pick two or three or one or whatever and we think what height of grace, what height of love, what height of human kindness. Christ came and he chose us for himself and he adopted us for himself and he paid for our adoption but with his blood and made us his own. We see here, these verses along with our text expressly gives the reason for adoption. Grace. All of grace. You say, don't, didn't we do something to earn it? Didn't we do something to, to, uh, to earn it? No, you were a sinner. You, you, were a, you rebelled against the very God that has adopted you. In spite of your sin, he brought you into himself. We see five gracious benefits of being adopted by God in these verses. Are y'all with me today? All right, with me. Stab your neighbor next to him and say, listen, this is good stuff. All right? Okay. No one ever goes to sleep at the dinner table after mom's prepared the food. I don't want you, I want you to get this. I have prepared this for you. Uh, look at this. Number one, we are, number one, led, and, and by the way, this would have been up here, and you can take the notes, okay, uh, on the back of your bulletin, help you stay awake if you're a little uh, sleepy. I know you all went to the... Um, Blossom Festival and you're all tired and uh, I understand that but, uh, but uh, do what you have to do to listen to this number one we are led by the spirit <laughs> led by the spirit William Hendrickson says he points out that those who are being led by the spirit are the people who are described as being and he quotes scripture here and I give him credit because I got it from his commentary but, but we could have taken it verse, chapter 8 verse 1 in Christ Jesus we are, we, we are in Christ Jesus Number two, in verse four, it says, walk, we walk according to the Spirit. And verse nine and 11 says, we are being indwelt by the Spirit. And verse 13 says, putting to death the disgraceful deeds of the body. That's what it means be, being led by the Spirit. We are in Christ. We are in the Spirit. We have the Spirit of God in us, and we in Him. And we are led by the Spirit because He is what is in control of our hearts and lives. Leon Morris said this, The work of the Spirit is not an option. Now listen, Christian, or if you believe you're a Christian, listen, the work of the Spirit is not an option or extra for the advanced Christian. Being led by the Spirit is a mark of God's people. It's a mark of God's people. Now, that's two things. Christian, don't get puffed up if you're having a good time and, and having success overcoming your sin and that God has given you talented and you use those talents in the church and you use those abilities and you get up and teach a Sunday school class or you sing a song or play a piano or an organ or you, you serve and you clean the church or you, you set up chairs and, and oh, look at me, I'm such a good Christian. Don't puff up. Let me tell you why you do that. God's Spirit makes you able and willing to do those things. Able and willing to do those things. 
But if you're here today and you think you're a Christian, you made some prayer when you were a kid, but you never are led by the Spirit. You don't want to read your Bible. You don't want to pray. You don't want to come to church. You don't want to love the people of God. You don't want to be a missionary if God called. You can't stand the singing of hymns. They're old and we've done them a thousand times. They're dusty. I don't want to do it. My friend, the Spirit of God is not in you and you're not saved. You don't have the marks of being saved. You will be led by the Spirit of God if you are a child of God. So number one, the Spirit leads us. Well, not number one. Uh, The Spirit leads us. How does he do it? By illuminating his word. By illuminating this book right here. By, by giving you desire. Well, I'm getting ahead of myself. As we study and read God's Word, it is the Spirit that teaches and opens our eyes and hearts to understand the truth of God's Word. You don't naturally understand this. Just watch the Discovery Channel. They don't want, trying to understand the Bible for a lost person is just useless. If you're walking in the Spirit, surrendered to the Spirit, and repentant and obedient, we have the mind of Christ. That's what the Bible says. You have the mind of Christ. And we will have the right desires and motives. Therefore, we can do what we... Now listen, if you're walking with God, separated from sin, walking in the Spirit, loving God, being faithful with the things you know He wants you to do, you say, Brother Arm, what's God's will? What should I do? Do what you want to. Do what you want to. If you have the mind of Christ, you're walking in the Spirit, you're, you are separated from sin, and you are, you're willing to suffer for Christ and do what He wants to, you're going to have the mind of Christ. Therefore, what you want to do is going to be okay. Well, brother, I do it's not exactly God's will. Listen, if, if you want to be, you know, something, and it's not quite what God wants you to do, He's not going to be mad at you for wanting to serve Him. And he's going to move you and twist you and push you and put you right where he wants you. Right Right where he wants you. Oh, that's good stuff. Wish I'd known that when I was a teenager. Wish I'd known that when I was a college student. I learned it before I got married. I met Christy. I was walking with the Lord. I was doing pretty good, and I, I, was, separate. I, was, re- I was willing to do whatever I wanted to, and so, or not what I wanted to, but what God wanted me to do, I was willing, and I met her, and one day I decided, you know what I want? I want to marry her, so I did it. <laughs> well, I'll tell you something, that's a big decision, choosing who you're going to marry for life. It should be done with prayer and fasting even in some cases. It's not something to be taken lightly. I had no doubt in my mind she was the one for me. It was a God thing. Don't you think so? It was a God thing. Proverbs 3, 5. Listen to what it says. Listen. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not into your own understanding. In all your ways acknowledge him. Now listen. And he shall direct thy paths. All right? Now, you've misread this next verse. Some people have. Maybe not, not, I'm not everybody, but some people have misread this next verse. Psalms 37, 4. Delight yourself also in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. Now, I want to tell you what that verse is not saying. If you delight in the Lord and you desire to be a gazillionaire, God's not going to give you gazillions of dollars. No, what it means is God will put the desires in your heart you ought to have. 
pure walking with the Lord, separate from sin, re ready to do what God wants you to do, guess what? You don't need gazillions of dollars because you find out and you realize and understand that God's going to take care of you no matter what. Yeah. No matter what. Number one, we are led by the Spirit. Number two, we are liberated by the Spirit. Look at verse 15 again. For you did not receive the spirit of bondage again to fear. Oh, now this is fixing to get good. Are y'all listening? This is fixing to get good. It's already been good. I mean, we've been eating cake. Now we're going to pecan pie. <laughs> and we're going to wind up right smack dab in the middle of a banana pudding. <laughs> Some Christians, and this may be you here today, now listen to me. Some Christians still have doubts and fears. Matter of fact, all Christians still have doubts and fears. We all do at some point, some more than others at some different times in our lives. Now this can be for a few reasons. Number one, you're sinning, you're living in sin. You're, you're, your own sin, you're giving into. If you're sinning, you will not have, now listen, assurance and joy. If you're living in sin, if, you're, if you are not seeking to overcome sin, you are never going to have assurance and joy. Doesn't mean you're not saved. The Bible says if our heart condemns us, there's one that knows all things and he, he knows that we're his. That's 1 John. Some people have doubts and fears. Now listen, because of bad theology bad preaching bad theology the, the belief that uh, to be accepted by God you have to meet some unscriptural standard of legalism and we go beyond scripture and teach you got to do this you got to do that you got to wear this you got to have this kind of hair you got to do this you got to go here and all these things and we add on things and through legalism preachers have put a burden on and, and, and bondage on people that is not necessary we are been, we've been free. We're free from sin. Even when we do sin as Christians, it cannot condemn us. It cannot drag us to hell. Christ has paid for my sins, past, present, and future. And I'm always going to be in his hands. He's never going to let go or cast me out. And so we're safe and secure in him. But a lot of people believe if I don't do this, I grew up in a system like that. I grew up in a system like that. Now listen, there are commands, there are responsibilities, but they come from this book. This book. This is what we live by. And listen, we shouldn't be so worried about do's and don'ts and worried about loving our fellow man and loving our brother and sister. Do you know if you do that alone, that'd take care of a lot of the sins yes, in this Bible. You, you're not going to cheat on somebody you love. You're not going to lie to people you love. You're not going to murder someone you love. You're not going to disgrace and dishonor someone you love. If you love God, you're not going to have any gods before you. You're not going to have any molten images before him. No, bad theology has made a lot of people have doubts and fears. Number three, the past. Hey, are you listening? The past. A past that makes you think that a father is an overbearing, demanding ogre. Or a father that never seems to be pleased with what you are doing or what you ever do. Or worse, an abusive father. An abusive situation. 
And sometimes the way we relate to our parents gives us an idea of what God is. And some people have this idea that fathers are mean and stern and unapproachable. I'm sorry you had a father like that, but that's not the way it's supposed to be. That's not the way it's supposed to be. A father is to be loving and kind. A father is to teach and instruct. Yes, a father is to discipline, but in a way that you know this is best for me. This is best for me. And a lot of people didn't have good daddies. Let's remember that. A lot of people didn't have good mamas and daddies. That's why it's important for the church to be good mamas and daddies. And sometimes you can get this idea that God is an overbearing ogre ready to punch us on the head for every little misdeed we do. That is not the case. God is a loving, merciful, gracious, forgiving, and caring Father who has His, now listen, His best interests for us in heart, which is the best for us. Amen? Here is the character of God. You want to know what God is like? Well, Jesus said it, told us what he's like. He's like Jesus. And this is what Jesus said of himself, Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28. He said to you, to me, to anybody, come unto me. He didn't just mean come over here and stand by. He said, come to me for relationship. Come to me for love. Come to me for grace. Come unto me, all ye that are labor and are heavy laden. If you're laboring and heavy laden because of this life and your sin, lay it down and come to me. I will give you rest. Now listen, take my yoke upon you. Yes, we got to take him as Lord. We have to be obedient to him. But he said, take my yoke upon you. Take my burden upon you. And listen to what he says. And I will give you rest. I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you. I will give you rest. Take my, I'm getting this mixed up. And learn of me. Now listen. For I am meek and lowly. You know what God is? He's meek and lowly. He's meek and lowly and kind and loving. I am meek and lowly in heart, and you shall, if you come to Jesus, you shall find rest unto your souls, for my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I want to tell you something. When you love somebody, when you love a boss, when you love a mama, when you love a daddy, and you have, uh, have great appreciation and respect for your parents like you should do, children, you gladly take out the trash. You gladly keep clean your room. You gladly cut your hair or whatever your parents tell you to do, right? You gladly do the things that your parents ask you to do. Why? Because you love them and because they're good to you. And you appreciate the goodness and the kindness. You appreciate all the toys they buy you. That you appreciate that you don't have to run around naked because mom and daddy clothed you. You think about when you're a baby. When you're a baby, I mean, you don't remember it, but when you're a baby, they changed all your dirty, stinking diapers, and they wiped all of your snotty noses, and they paid all of your doctor's bills, and they paid for your schooling. Listen, you ought to love and appreciate your parents because they have loved and appreciated and shed on you things. By the way, you don't deserve. You ought to love your parents. That wasn't in my message necessarily, but sure is good stuff. 
But God is a father that anybody can appreciate and love because he is meek and lowly. That's, that's the picture of God you ought to have. We should feel a sense of liberation, not bondage and fear. Quit expecting God to pounce. It's not going to happen. Did you hear me? Quit expecting God to pounce on you. It's not going to happen if you're his child. Number three, we are loved by the Father. We are loved by the Father. I'm going to end with this one. I'm going to have to stop sooner than I meant to. I know y'all hate it, but time's running out. We are loved by the Father. It says there in verse 15, whereby we cry out, now listen, this good stuff, Abba, Father. Abba, Father. Now the word Abba is actually Aramaic. It's an Aramaic term that Jesus used because it was a familiar term back then. Uh, it was uh, one that they, they took from the Aramaic folks and used it as a pet word for their fathers, their daddies. It expresses an, the intimacy of the relationship that we can have with the father. It's akin to us saying daddy or papa. My mother, my mom, uh, she was a very uh, laid back. Uh, she was uh, informal. She's just a country girl and grew up very poor. And she hated to be called mother. Every once in a while, I'd come in and I'd say, oh, mother dear, and, and uh, something like that. Well, I got to know, and she did a little irritated her. So guess what? I called her till the day she died. I called her mother. <laughs> and after a while, it became to be the pet name that was for her, mother, mom, mama. I could call her anything but Peggy. I got a whooping if I called her Peggy. I don't know why that is. Some kids call their parents by their name, but I never was allowed to. And I always called my dad, Daddy. Adrian calls me Dad. I guess that's what Allison calls me, too. I can't repeat what now I'm just seeing. <laughs> These are pet names that we have. Grandparents are really getting weird, isn't it? It's not grandma and grandpa, it's Coopop and, 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 and my sister, what do they make my sister make them call her? Yaya, Yaya. I said yo-yo. I have one lady in, in my church in Mount Pleasant, she, she, made her, she made her grandchildren call her precious. Grandma. I called my mother's mother Mayall, and we called my dad's mom Moms. And it's because our older siblings were a little bit touched and they didn't know how to pronounce Grandma. So anyway, I got I to gotta finish this. <laughs> so it's like saying, Daddy, why do you feel you should be afraid of God? Why do you feel that you should be afraid of God as his child when he is over and over again in Scripture told us? He's a loving, accepting, forgiving God. He's already forgiven you. He does not deal with us on the basis of our sin, but on the basis of our relationship with him. And the basis of our relationship with him is the blood of Jesus Christ. And the blood of Jesus Christ has cleansed us from all sin. Amen. So why do we feel that we should be afraid of God? 
and think you have to crawl to him. A lot of religions even teach that you got to crawl up these steps and touch these statues and do these things if you want to be accepted by God. No, my friend, you've got to run up to him just like you did your earthly daddy. Jump up in his lap, put your arms around his neck, give him a kiss, and then ask him for money for a candy bar. <laughs> Mark 10, 13, this is the way we ought to approach God. And they brought young children to him that he should touch them. And his disciples rebuked those that brought them. This is, this is the Lord. This is the rabbi. How dare you let these little snotty children come around our, our uh, teacher? Can you hear it? In verse 14, Jesus, when he saw it, was much displeased. He was angry. And he said to them, Suffer the little children to come unto me and forbid them not, for of such is the kingdom of heaven. And I should have put this verse, but the next verse is that only those who go to heaven are those who come like a little child. We're his children. And you think of your own children, how you love them, how you want that intimate relationship. God is no different. We want to be with our dad. We want to know our dads. We want to learn from our dads. We want to love our daddies. We fear and respect him in that we know he means what he says. And he said, call me daddy. Daddy. 